0: Welcome into the Otzen Audibles post game edition. I'm at frame. Eric Skopel is on the podcast as always, and we are wrapping up Oregon's 43 29 victory from Martin Stadium in a cold but dry and little wind Pullman, Washington. Uh, Eric, I think it was an impressive win. Uh, by the Oregon Ducks they improved to 2-0 in the the conference 2-0 on the year Uh, they will more than likely uh, see them their ranking maybe go up a little bit I don't know if it's going to jump from a numbers perspective but I think it was another impressive win in which uh, their total points that they get from uh, a ranking perspective goes up and it was a game in which it started out awesome and then it got really nasty really ugly for the next about 20 minutes of game time, and then in the third quarter, things clicked for the Ducks, and they walk out of Martin Stadium with a 43-29 victory. Um, let's run through the scoring real quick. It started off like I said: DJ Johnson with a 13-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Shuck, which capped off a 15-play, 95, 92-yard drive that went almost six minutes of time. The Ducks score was 6:48 left in the first quarter to go up 7-0, and then. Washington State's second drive, uh, they marched right down the field. Six plays, 77 yards, three minutes and 42 seconds. Capped off with a, a Lucas Bacon 18-yard touchdown pass from uh, Jaden Delora. Uh, Bacon was a is a walk-on tight end for the Cougars. Cougars ended up going for two after Oregon was called for a penalty on the PAT. Uh, that ended up not being converted, which set up a weird score the rest of the of the, of the night. Oregon leads seven to six. Um, Oregon's next possession uh, doesn't result in any points turnover Um, Cougars quick strike four plays 53 yards uh, Renard ball four yard touchdown pass so you know in a matter of about two and a half minutes the Cougars score 13 points which is a a pretty much of a doozy and then the second quarter nothing goes on for Oregon's offense again you know it's more struggles there uh, but nonetheless uh, more turnovers, um, but Oregon's defense kind of bows up here a little bit. And a really good performance in the second quarter from, from Oregon's defense when they were put in some tough situations and didn't allow touchdowns Cougars had a 39 yard field goal, and also a 49 yard field goal. The second coming with just 24 seconds to go uh, in that first half and they're leading 19 to seven. And that's when maybe the, the big sequence of the game flips Uh Mikel, Right returns the kickoff. I don't know why Washington State kicked to him, but they did. He returns the kickoff 40 yards to the to the Worgan 40. Very next play, Tyler Shuck finds Jalen Red open to the uh, Washington State three yard line. Huge play there. Next play, CJ Everdell three yard touchdown run. Ducks go into half trailing 19 to 14. And then Travis Die uh, midway through the third quarter puts the Ducks up 21 19 with a 16 yard touchdown pass from Tyler Shuck. That is Chuck's second touchdown pass of the game up until that point. And then Oregon gets the ball right back. And this, the, the scoring just goes nuts here for Oregon. Johnny Johnson, two-yard touchdown pass. Ducks now up 28-19, uh, just seconds into the fourth quarter. Washington State does respond. They go down the field. They put, a, they put together almost a near 80, 80-yard drive. But, like I said in the second quarter, Oregon's defense holds up here. And they force a field goal. Ducks lead 28-22 with nine fifty nine, and it took Oregon just three plays to answer, and it ends with a 71-yard touchdown pass from Tyler Shuck to Travis Dye, a beautiful throw, a beautiful executed play. Oregon blows it open now, 36-22, and you look at this and think, okay, well, this game is over. Washington State maybe makes it a little interesting with a late touchdown. Deion McIntosh, one-yard run with four minutes and 40 seconds to go in the game. It's 36-29. Oregon's got to score a touchdown. or we'll get a couple first downs, and the game is over. And they march right down the field, and they score a touchdown with a minute and 40 to go. Cyrus Avila caps off a uh, the, the scoring drive with a one-yard touchdown. We get the end of the score there, 43-29 overall, Eric – knowing the scope of the game, knowing how things played, played out. I think we learned a lot about this Oregon football team. There's a lot to clean up, but there's also a lot to like.
1: Oh, I mean, uh, undoubtedly a lot to clean up. Um, I think probably more to clean up than, than you would have liked. But at the same time, like, it's pretty great knowing you can turn the ball over three times, not force a turnover once. By the way, two consecutive games now with five turnovers lost, zero forced. And that second part, I think, is something. That is a little bit disconcerting, but you can play that sloppy, execute that poorly. That was the word Mario Cristobal chose in postgame was just they didn't execute very well. You can do all those things in the first half, you know, basically make as many mistakes as you could expect to make in a game. And they all come in one sequence, three straight possessions with turnovers. And yet you come out on the road and you win by two scores. Like, I mean, that's really impressive. I mean, that's the type of stuff that obviously you don't want to put yourself in those positions. You don't want to make all those mistakes. Nobody would, would argue that. But the, I think the resolve and the response that we saw, super impressive. I mean, super impressive, especially with a brand-new offensive line, a brand-new quarterback. They did lean on their running backs, as we'd expect. And boy, did C.J. Verdell and Travis Dye deliver over and over again in that second half. Uh, Travis Dye, that might have been one of his best games as a Duck. I mean, you know, he made the mistake early in the game. He fumbled it, we should note. He started the game with his gloves on. People have been begging for three years for him to wear gloves, and he fumbles. I think it. he's
0: aware of this too. I think oh, he he's aware is, of the well, I gonna, thing.
1: I was just going to say he played to it because he even said, "I asked him about the fumble, and he even said uh, I was wearing the gloves. That's not for me. I took them off." And then he, you know, goes out and he plays awesome in the second half. Should note makes two catches at least, and they're, not, they're not like the most difficult catches, but makes two catches for touchdowns that really put the game. Or, you know, they take the lead and then kind of puts the game away. Really impressed with the way they leaned on those two guys, but just in general, like, just can't overlook how great Tyler Shuck was in this either. Um, I'll, I'll credit James Capillo, of the Argonian for the stat, but first quarterback since Marcus Mariota in 2014 to have consecutive games with 200 yards passing and 80 or more yards rushing. Um, 312 yards passing today, 81 yards rushing, four touchdowns that have the one reception. Like the thing here is, is if he can clean it up and this offense can play a complete game, which again they have it now for two consecutive weeks, the sky is the limit. And and we don't, I don't know how much we want to get into this because we're going to talk about a lot of this stuff I think throughout the show. But like this Joe Moorhead offense, what they're doing out there, it, it doesn't look like there's going to be many defenses in this conference that can slow it down when it's clicking the way it did in the first half. I'm sorry, in the second half this week and in the second half last week, and also a lot of credit to the offensive line for I just wearing out the opposition. Um, look out. It's really, really tough to stop them. They've got so many ways, they got so many playmakers and then just so many creative ways to get those players the ball in space. A lot to be impressed with, and I'm sure we'll talk about more, but um, I just came away thinking, boy, they were dealt a gut punch and they came out and had the response.
0: Yeah, Mario Cristobal referenced the 2018 game um, earlier this week. Uh, I think it was a question I had asked. Um, and, and he looked at, you know, he mentioned how, that was a poor performance in 2018. He blamed the coaching staff and himself primarily for not having the team ready. Felt You really felt like they they had a nasty taste in their mouth about how they played up here in Pullman in 2018. He then referenced it again after the win. And, you know, he, he talked a little bit about how, these guys really were were fired up to play here and that they yes they are a young team and there are a lot of freshmen and there's a lot of sophomores that didn't play in that game but there are some key pieces of this team on both sides of the football that had roles in that game and were you know very upset about how that that performance played out and they wanted redemption I mean I talked to Travis Dye and he even said after the game that you know Travis Dye said that uh they beat Washington state last year at home and yet it still didn't really solve their issues, their anger, their, their disappointment in how they played in 2018. And yet he said, yeah, we we won, but we still had that bad taste in our mouth for how 2018 played out and that they wanted to come up here and, and get a do over and show, you know, show their true colors and, and, and look at this team. And I'm with you, like all the, the new things with this offense and all the new things with, what this group looks like and and what we're seeing and and what they've had to get through. It's pretty darn impressive. Um,
1: Yeah, it really is.
0: I I walk away from this group and yeah, there's a lot to, to clean up on, but you just look at the pure numbers of this game. I mean, 581 yards of total offense. They threw for 312. They ran for 269. They had 26 total first downs. 25 of those came via what Oregon did. Only one penalty. Uh, for one first down via penalty for the, for the ducks. Uh, they had just six. This is the, this is the crazy stat. This is like the chip Kelly, you know, 2011, 2012 Oregon stuff. When the college football world is still just blown away by what Oregon was doing offensively because Oregon had 581 yards of offense on just 66 plays. They averaged 8.8 mm-hmm. 8 yards per play. I mean, that that might be the the you know the best number that we've seen from a per play average under Mario Cristobal's coaching career here at Oregon. I I can't think of one that's much higher than that. I mean, there might be one that's higher, but it's not going to be by a lot. Um, the Ducks did have penalty, They did have some penalties, four for thirty-seven. They did have some turnovers, but just I look at this and think a second game in a row where they punted once in the football game. Um, you you look at their. Their their conversions third down last week, there were nine of 11 this week. There were seven of 11. And guess what? Two of the, two of those four conversions they didn't, they they didn't convert. They went for it on fourth down and they got it. So they were essentially nine for 11 on situations where they needed to, they either lost the ball or had to punt and they, they converted nine of 11 of those situations. And that's just insane to think of. Um, They got into the red zone, fought, they got into the red zone six times and they left with five touchdowns. They didn't score a field goal, which they should have, but five of six in the red zone, five touchdowns. I look at this, you know, there's a lot to be very happy about with this offense. And and yes, that first half was ugly for parts of it. There was concern, no doubt about it. But like you said, once they've, once they kind of figure things out here, boy, this offense is just unbelievable. And it, it could be very difficult for the rest of the league to stop.
1: From the three turnovers and then that punt from a Tom Snee late in the second quarter, the Ducks drives went touchdown, missed field goal. We'll we'll talk about that later because I think this is a trend that we don't like seeing from Camden-Lewis, consecutive weeks with a missed field goal. But then after that, touchdown, 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 end of game. Um, You can't ask for much better execution than that. And, of course, you'd love to see that in the first half. But I, I do think there's a cumulative effect now having watched this team play two weeks in a row here of just the way they play at the line of scrimmage. And this offensive line, Matt, this doesn't look like an offensive line that's no. replacing all five starters, does it? I mean, it looks no. like an offensive line that's been working together for a very, very long time. And, and the way they run the football, 269 yards this week. By, by the way, I think that's the exact same number as last week. Didn't they have 269 a week ago too? Um, e- even if they didn't, like, they just pound the rock. And again, C.J. Verdell, I think under 30 yards rushing in the first half, finishes with 118. Tyler Shuck, 81 yards. Travis Dye, 54 yards. Those only come on five carries. This team wears defenses down, and its ability to do that is becoming very, very apparent. I thought Washington State, really, I was really impressed with the way they performed on both sides of the ball in that first half. They got up 19-7, to right? From there, though, 36-10 to run from Oregon just completely knocked the Cougars off, you know, basically knocked them off their block. I thought Jaden Delora had some good moments, but it didn't really matter at a certain point here. Cause we haven't really mentioned the defense. It wasn't the defense's best game. Um, but they were dealt some tough hands here in terms of all those turnovers in the first half, 29, sorry, 10 of the 29 points they scored Washington state came off of Oregon turnovers and short fields. So um, I think offensively you're ecstatic. Love the way this team came out in the second half. I know there's a lot of stuff with Tyler Scott um, and, and the fumbles aren't great in the first half, but boy, did he respond? He looks like, I mean, 21 for 30, by the way, 312 yards. I mean, he was a stud. And um, I know there are detractors, and it's funny on social media because there's a lot of old take exposed opportunities, I think, because people were calling for him to be pulled from the game in the first half. People were saying, Anthony Brown needs to be in there. I think you said at one point, someone was saying, Let, get Ty Thompson in the game, which tells you how, <laughs> how, how removed from reality they are. Because Ty Thompson's still playing high school football in Arizona. But Tyler Schott, and I don't know he doesn't know all this stuff, but during the game, but like he knows he's not performing very well. He knows that the offense is making a lot of mistakes. And he said he, they just kept focusing on the fact that it was a long game and there was a lot of game to left to be played. And I think, you know, or for those listening, it's like, I know it gets frustrating and hard the moment here, but just trust this group. And I know, I know you hadn't seen anything. And maybe this is the big takeaway for me and, and for those listening. You hadn't seen anything. They hadn't really faced this kind of adversity really yet. But the way that they responded to it, I think should provide you some trust in like, okay, if they find themselves in a position like this again, and I, and I genuinely don't know if they will. I think eventually here they're going to play just a perfect, complete four-quarter game, and it's going to be a total butt-kicking. It could be against UCLA next week. But if they do find themselves in a similar spot, like, you got to trust this group. I mean, they've proven that. I mean, they, they played about as bad of a sequence there um, late first quarter, most of the second quarter as you could have, and yet they come back and win by two scores. Uh, hats off to that group for having the resiliency. Really impressed with just the way they put it together in the second half. Again, two straight games, second half, completely dominated.
0: It's almost like... This is an offense that's talented, but it's also having to replace five offensive linemen <laughs> and a starting quarterback that's potentially the league the lead, NFL's rookie of the year. And that there's a new offensive system in place because the new coordinator and that they lost their tight end and they lost one of their receivers. And oh, by the way, uh, the offseason was not normal and there wasn't spring football. Um,
1: like, hey, hey, that's too Hey, that's too much logic, Matt. Stop it. Quit <laughs> <Put> that. <laughs> So
0: like I, I, this group is, is, is young. They're inexperienced. They're thing, figuring things out and there's going to exactly. be some hiccups and we are expecting that. And I like, think we'll get to the defense here in a little bit. And that's the one where I'm more concerned about because they don't have those built-in excuses that, that, that the offense does. And maybe excuses isn't the right word. Um, a couple things that have come through, through social media um, from duck fans, uh, about tonight's game, Bob Ashley says that he thought Avalos switched things up nicely after the first drive or two. Won't get a lot of attention, but he brought more pressure. And he also says Jalen Red makes big plays. Um, Jesse Carey Hobbs says Show Shuck and Company is young. The old line needs to settle in, and once they get comfortable, they will roll. Washington State is talented. Uh, Nat Fod says running backs are fire. Front seven is not. Um, Chad brings up tackling or that thereof by Oregon's defense. Eli Paris says the offensive line dominating the second half stood out. Uh, Richard Bernstein says he, that Oregon lost a turnover battle and yet still won by two scores. Uh, we've got Morgan duck says good offensive line concerning defense, not getting any pressure for two straight games. Uh, Joe Lee says getting the ducks swag back in the second half. Um, Nathan Buffato B- says this front seven is severely underperforming expectations and it's alarming um nick comes up behind that and says the entire defense truthfully is underperforming but the offense has been outstanding when they don't turn the ball over uh we've also got a comment from jeff palmer uh you may recognize that name wide receivers played well considering shuck threw behind them consistently we really miss troy die uh someone else yes patos says that uh we also really miss our other five-star linebacker referencing Justin Flo who did not play in this football game. Um, David Jones cites their resiliency in response to playing from behind was really inspiring. There's no quit in his team. And Anthony Peluso says offensive play calling on third down third and fourth down conversions, citing Oregon's uh, seven for 11 on third down two for two conversions on fourth down. And I think a lot of that is, is right. Like, The offensive line is gelling the, you know, they're young, the Oregon entire unit essentially is young and it's taking some time for them to to get going. But once, once they find their groove last two weeks, you know, they had three straight scoring drives in the second half against Stanford. They had four straight scoring drives uh, in the second half against Washington state today. I asked Mario Cristobal about that. He he said part of its scheme and and yeah, he's not going to tell us what they're doing. Uh, but that nonetheless, there are some adjustments for the scheme, but also there's some sitting down and, and there's some coaching going on of the staff working with a young team and saying, Hey, we're prepared for this. This is what they're doing. This is what we're supposed to do. When they do this, remember, remember your keys and go to that. And honestly, Eric, like, I think one of the things I'm seeing the most here from an offensive standpoint primarily is there's a big upgrade at coordinator. I I feel like the second half adjustments are being made and it's hard to argue against the data that we've seen go look at the first half and go look at the second half of both these two games now and see how efficient Oregon becomes once they kind of get an idea okay this is what Washington State's doing this is how we're handling it we're not doing this we're not doing that we're doing this really well and the adjustments that are being made at halftime are startling
1: yeah I (laughs) I've said this podcast. I don't want to be the guy who looks back at the old offensive coordinator and says, boy, was that guy terrible, man. He wasn't very good. I still don't want to say that, but I think you can say really confident right now that Joe Moorhead is a better offensive coordinator than Marcus Arroyo was. Um, I know that's not breaking news. I know that's, <laughs> that's not like a stunning development right there, but they'd have, they, what they're, what they're doing out there, like every single touchdown in the second half, and I'm not taking anything away from the individual players because they may have to make the plays, but like it's just incredible scheme. It's incredible diagnosis of what the defense is doing. I think you're right in terms of like, and maybe that's something that you have to acknowledge here. And, and of course the turnovers were not entirely Joe Moorhead's fault. Those weren't scheme related, but once they get an idea of how the opposition is defending and we've seen this now two consecutive weeks, they just figured out in the second half they make, they, they just, they dial stuff up, man. And that third, and I think it was, was it third and three or third and four, the swing pass, the wheel route to a Travis Dye okay. for 71 yards. Um, that, that's a thing the of beauty. And so it, it, it wasn't the only time we saw that type of thing. I was just like, boy, they, 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 they put their playmakers in, in positions to make plays. And we obviously saw that at times last year. You can't take that away entirely from Marcus Arroyo and company, but – I just feel like you watch this offense right now. And this is the most fun I've had watching an Oregon offense since Marcus Mariota was here, you know? Um, and probably the most innovative I've felt in offense was since like the early chip Kelly era and, you know, or even the late chip Kelly era. Cause I think he remained pretty innovative, but like just what they're doing and, 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 and a lot of credit to Tyler Shuck, right? I mean, he's a new quarterback and I think his decisions in the RPO are really impressive. Right. I mean, like, I know he makes some mistakes and he's definitely not perfect. And he, he copped to that. He admitted to that after the game, but like the way he executes that stuff is really impressive. and It's just going to get better and better. So yeah, no question about it. Oregon upgraded at offensive coordinator, Marcus Soros off at UNLV. He's doing his stuff there. That's no longer a connection to Oregon. I, I think I'd prefer to just focus on the fact that gosh, does Oregon seem to have a, 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 a just a complete, completely kick ass offensive coordinator. Right now, in Joe Moorhead, and what they're doing offensively, and the stats they're putting up right now, and I know these aren't like the premier offense or sorry, premier defenses in the conference or in the country with Stanford and Washington State, but they're carving them up, and it doesn't even look that difficult at times, especially in the second half.
0: How concerning should we concern should we be about Oregon's defense? Because I look at Washington State in twenty first downs, they had four hundred and twenty one yards of total offense um, on third downs. Uh, in in this football game, there were seven of 15. They were six of six on red zone scores. Now, granted, only three of those six turned into touchdowns. So, you know, you you look at this and think, you know, Oregon took 12 points off the board once Washington State got into the red zone. In theory, you should score touchdowns. And they lost out on 12 points. Oregon wins this game by 14. I mean, there's a difference of the game right there. Oregon's defense bowing up once, they got put into a tight spot, and they're in the red zone. And you look at this and, and think some key pieces were missing from this game. You know, Vero McKinley did not play in the first half because of a because of a first half suspension because of a targeting call. Uh, that's not an Oregon suspension; it's a Pac-12 suspension. Um, Justin Flo did not suit up in this game. Steve Stevens was not here for this game. Popo Amave was not here. But there's also a ton of talent still on this team. And Washington State, for parts of the game, moved the ball up and down.
1: It's the first time since, let me put a little bit of a positive spin on it. This is the first time since 2012, Oregon has held Washington State to fewer than 30 points. I know they just, like, literally by the thinnest of margins, did that. I'd also say, like, or I think similar to the offense, it wasn't perfect. And, and like the stats you ran through aren't great. And if you reality, when you watch the game, it's not just the stats. They missed a lot of tackles, right? They did not play great football. But I, here's the counter to that is first two or two of the first three drives of the game resulted Washington State touchdowns. They, they go for two and they miss the two point conversion. Um, so they got 13 points in those first two drives. The last eight drives of the game resulted 16 points. And obviously you don't want to give up points, but like they got better and they performed, I thought pretty admirably in that second half. And like Oregon outscored Washington state um, 29 to 10 in the second half. And it was a 36 to 10 run after Washington state comes down um, and extends that lead with one of Blake Maz's two uh, first half field goals. But like, you know, and, and, and I don't want to sugarcoat this and say they're, they're awesome. Everything is great because there's still some concerns here. I mean, through two weeks right now, one sack. That's not, that's not ideal. Kayvon Thibodeau had a great game, by the way, I think. Six tackles, two tackles for loss, two quarterback hits. He was all over the place. He deserves a lot of credit. He still hasn't got to the quarterback yet for a sack. That, that's surprising. No turnovers. I mentioned it earlier. This is a defense that forced 27 turnovers in 14 games last year. It's like almost two per game. It's consecutive games now that they've failed to force one. So, like, that's not great. But there's still, I think there's stuff to be excited about, and and again, like you, you brought up all the things that this offense has been up against. I mean, this defense also lost. No Javon players.
0: Holland, no Thomas Graham, no exactly. Brent Freeze.
1: Right where I was going, they lost three players to opt outs. They didn't have Verona Kinley out there. There's a, f- I mean, that's a, what do you think? That's probably their four best defensive backs minus Diamond Lenore and Mikael Wright, I and mean, that's four of their best six defensive backs that they just don't have. Um, for parts of this game. And obviously three of those guys just aren't on the team anymore, so you can kind of remove them. That Those guys were supposed to be part of this team and really key contributors. Um, and I think there's the expectation this is going to be a well-oiled machine right away. And I know I felt that way. I think we both kind of yeah. felt like this was going to be a little bit more impressive. But like, I also think that they're going to get better. And I think in the second half against a Washington State offense, which frankly is like they're pretty impressive. That's not an easy offense to defend. They put you out in space. They've got playmakers. Um, I, I think you, you go and look at the way that Deion McIntosh ran the football, almost at 100 yards rushing, the way that Travell Harris and Renard uh, Bell are in space. Those guys combined for 19 catches for like 250 yards and a touchdown. Um, those, are really good, and those are really good playmakers. Those guys are tough to bring down. And Oregon wasn't fantastic in space against them. That's cause for concern. But I just think overall, like, I don't leave this being like, this defense, that's right, this defense stinks. Like, they're not going to be competitive. I look at this and go, they are a young group that certainly wasn't far from perfect, but I don't come away being like, "Uh uh-oh, this is a huge problem. I look at this thinking, like, Oregon, again, has not been ever, really hasn't had Washington State's number on defense almost a decade. Um, Washington State bringing out a a new offense that Oregon hasn't actually faced before, and I know you've got game from on them, um, like none of that's, none of that's, op, You know, none of that makes it super easy to do this, uh, you know, against a team like Washington state. And yet in the second half, when it mattered, this defense, I know they gave up that touchdown late there. That wasn't great, but like this defense figured it out. And I thought performed pretty darn good down the stretch.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you, you mentioned the second half um, for Washington state, six plays, 12 yards, punt three plays, eight yards, punt seven plays, 79 yards field goal nine plays 74 yards touchdown five plays 22 yards turnover on downs they had the ball for five to- five possessions in the second half and i think this is what's going to make oregon's strategy so impressive and so good and so difficult to beat is that you look at the first first game against stanford oregon wore down stanford in the second half it was just keep grinding away, wear them down, wear them down, and eventually Morgan's physicality and their depth and their speed and their strength and and their talent will just overcome the Stanford Cardinal. And that happened again tonight against Washington State. It was, hey, just make sure you can start getting long, sustained drives. Don't turn the football over because once you start sustaining your drives, they can't stop you. And Travis Dye said that they felt like, you know they they couldn't be stopped. You know once it was just being able to protect the football and don't make mistakes. They couldn't be stopped. And or that was Tyler Shuck that said that. Yeah. And it's true. And it's it's thirteen plays, fifty six yards, and they Oregon then failed to execute and missed a field goal. Five plays, sixty eight yards, touchdown. Seven plays, eighty yards, touchdown. Three plays, seventy five yards, touchdown. Six plays, seventy five yards, touchdown. And when you combine that with with a defense that's going to make the defense better because now all of a sudden there's more pressure on washington state where whoever they're playing that week to to match score for score and your your opponent is realizing oh our defense is breaking down because oregon is playing a physical game of football they're going the length of the football field every single time and they're chewing up time off the clock their guys are getting just smashed and that's tiring and if the defense when the defense comes off because Oregon scores a touchdown, they're just praying that they're off. The opponent's offense will be able to put a, together a sustained drive to give them rest, to give them a chance to catch their breath and, and regroup and have time to scheme against what Oregon's doing. And that's, what's going to make this team so good is you're right. You know, I, I this defense is going to get better. And part of the part, that reason I think is the offense at Oregon is going to get more consistent. And the the quicker their offense becomes more consistent, the the better the defense will get because they'll be fresh and they'll be playing an opponent where they know, Oregon's defense knows, hey, we just need one, we need two stops because if our offense, if we can give them two stops, our offense will go down the field and deliver back-to-back, back-breaking, you know, long drives that just take the wind out of the opponent's sails and then it's game over.
1: I think one other way to look at it is this. is like Oregon almost wins the, the, the turnover, uh, the, sorry, the time of possession battle. And that comes in, a ha- in the first half where they had three straight possessions that lasted that combined like two minutes yeah. because of turnovers. Um, and then another possession that lasted three. I mean, I, I thought the sustained drives they had was impressive, but I also think that's a reflection of the defense of, again, they were able to get off the field and get off the field pretty quickly in that second half and really after – Washington State takes that 19 to 7 lead. Uh, things really fit, came together and there's room for improvement. We should note, going to be a second consecutive game where you dar- or you're down a starting safety. Nick Pickett was removed from the game for a targeting call that's back to back weeks. Verona McKinley was obviously removed last week.
0: Yeah, we should um, note Pickett's out for the first half against UCLA next week.
1: And that's going to be significant. You know, I mean, it's kind of wild that you're now going to have consecutive games without one of your starting safeties. Um, I was trying to see who they officially said started in the box score here, but the box score list, Micah Pittman is one of the starting receivers and Verona McKinley is one of the starting field safeties. And I know that's <laughs> not accurate. And it also says Drew Mathis started at middle linebacker. So I don't know if they just copied and pasted last week's or what, but um, that's not accurate. So I, I think it was Jordan Happel. who started the game but Bennett yes. Williams. I thought, performed really it well. Was. Those two guys are, are I think sure. Bennett Williams in particular, I thought made some great plays out there. Um, certainly made his name. Uh, a, player, a player to be very much aware of. So it's not like they lack players there. I, I don't know exactly who the fill-in of the picket is because we should note Steve Stevens was supposedly the backup at that spot. He didn't make the trip. He wasn't out there in the second half, and I'm pretty sure they had Bennett Williams playing that spot. So it's going to be something they'll have to ask on next week. But this, again, just back to the, the larger point about this defense, let's, let's all take a deep breath. Let's realize that these guys are human. There's been a crazy off season, and they still make a ton of plays out there. Noah Sewell, I thought, man, that guy's a stud. We talked to him after the game. The, the, the sky's the limit there. I, I almost, by the way, I made, I made the prediction in our prediction podcast that he would start the game. Nailed that part. Did not nail the part where he would lead the team in tackles. Nick Pickett, despite being ejected, to have nine tackles to lead the game. Kayvon Thibodeau had six. Noah Sewell was third with four tackles. Um, overall, though, a defense that certainly is imperfect, but boy, I I, I wouldn't. I, my 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 worry level is like maybe a three right now. It's not that high.
0: Going into UCLA now, are you seeing how Oregon has played the first two weeks? Um, seeing how Colorado beat
1: Stanford. Uh, yeah.
0: Uh, last, you know, this earlier this week. Um, seeing how Washington State beat an Oregon State team that's back. You know, we're recording this after the game, and Oregon State Washington still being played, but that game's close. It's a three. Percent, it's a three point game right now at yeah. half. Mm-hmm. um you know we don't know how it's going to end out you know how the game's going to come out later on but you know, seeing what we know for, for the first two weeks of the year I think many people were expecting myself included I think you were too that um if I'm wrong that Oregon should blow out UCLA like do you feel even more confident in that or is there maybe a little bit of a reserve here
1: I have a kind of a sneaking suspicion that this next week's game where they put it together for all four quarters and I don't necessarily think that's going to be like a 45 to 10 game but I think it's going to be the most lopsided game of the season Um, and we should also know we're recording this before we see the result of Cal and UCLA which by the way credit to the Pac-12 for somehow I know we don't often a lot of people don't want to give a lot of credit to the Pac-12 but like how about the fact that they had two games canceled and they were still able to, to schedule Cal and UCLA on Sunday? Um, and Oregon's game with UCLA, by the way, got pushed back a day Saturday. Um, s- s- super impressive they're able to do that. So we don't know exactly what UCLA is yet, but I, I, I'm really confident in this Oregon team, and I think we're seeing it all come together. And, and I'll put it this way. Like I think if we are recording our podcast next Saturday night and Oregon – has its least lopsided win, right? And then in the first game they won by 21, this last game they won by 14. I'm going to be really surprised. And at that point, I'm going to be concerned because I think the UCLA team is a game, that's a team that can definitely be had. Oregon has a talent advantage. And frankly, I think third game into the season, you should start seeing some pretty big improvements here. And I know there's, there, there, you know, the season's not perfect. It's, it's unreliable. It's unpredictable. We didn't think Michael Pittman wouldn't play in this game. You know what I mean? We didn't know that. Um, Steve Stevens and David Davis were, wouldn't be at this game. I mean, these are players that we expected to be available. So you, don't, you, can't, you can't really count that part of it out. But, like, I'm expecting this Oregon team to just continue to play better. And I really think the UCLA game, in my mind, is the game that we go, like, okay, there's the all-four-quarter blowout. And, and we really start kind of seeing what this team can look at, like, look like when they're firing on all cylinders.
0: We should address some of those questions here to end this podcast.
1: Um, okay. Oregon
0: did not travel 19 scholarship players for this football game now, or didn't play suit up, have guys available on the sidelines for this game. Now, some of that is because of, you know, travel size. Um, You're only allowed to bring, you can't bring your entire team um, for conference games. And we know that, but nonetheless, Micah Pittman, he did not suit up. He was not on the sideline. Um, Steve Stevens was not on the sideline. Uh, we also know that David Davis was not on the sideline. Um, Spencer Webb, Kale Millen, Hunter Cantmoyer, Popo Amave, Jason Jones, Fahape Lalou, uh, Patrick Herbert, Cam McCormick, Lance Wilhoy, Isaiah Crocker, and Michael Afisi, um, Justin Flo, Jaden Neverett, um, and Robbie Ashford were the guys that were not here in Pullman that were on scholarship. For this game, some of those guys are redshirting, um, like a Jaden Navarette, Robbie Ashford. Um, you also could look at, uh, let me see, other guys, Jason Jones, uh, for Um You want to go and look at at Maisel Afisi. Now those are redshirt guys, uh, but Crocker and Javon Wilson and Hunter Cammoyer and Popo and uh, Patrick Herbert, Cam McCormick, Lance Will Hoyt uh spencer webb those are guys that in steve stevens in a normal year are gonna play they're gonna you know you would think they'd be on the you think they'd be here um or they're so far down the depth chart they're not playing various reasons now christopher did get asked about Pittman. he got asked about steve stevens um i'm trying to think who were the other two that he was specifically... he was
1: asked about he was asked about daywood as well that was oh, right daywood davis maybe it was three maybe it was, yeah. those, it was those. it was just those three yeah
0: and he t- tapped around it and said that they're not in trouble they're they're great representatives of the team they're they're great players they're great people off the field they're not in trouble but they were unavailable for the football game and you want to read into it well i'll read into it it's COVID. Now I'm not saying they tested positive, but there's no other explanation that Christoph would say they're not in trouble. They're not, you know, and those three guys just all of a sudden don't show up and and, and become available. Um, could be contact tracing, could be maybe they they did test positive. I don't know. But that's the reason that we were given. Cristobal didn't really dive into it other than saying that they're not in trouble. There's no reason to, for them to be in trouble. They're great players. They're great teammates. They're great people off the field. They just were available today.
1: I asked Tyler Shuck about not having Micah Pittman and he said Micah Pittman was mad. And that was the comment he made about that particular part. And then he talked about the other receivers. But I thought that was pretty telling. It sounds like it's something out of his control. Um, you're right. Mario Cristobal's quotes made it very clear this was not disciplin- disciplinary. You know, This wasn't a disciplined decision. Um, that this was not, we don't believe, regarding some sort of injuries. I believe we know Micah Pittman made the trip. Um, I believe his dad posted something to that effect online. Yeah, he said he's healthy. He's healthy. And he made the trip, and they found out at about 1 p.m. he wasn't going to be able to play. And that's probably almost exactly when you'd be doing testing. I think it's pretty clear to read between the lines there. One other player that was um, missing during parts of the game, at least, was cornerback D.D. Lenore. Um, he went down late in the second half. Cristobal said afterwards it was cramp. And Cristobal kind of this is kind of a funny quote here, maybe kind of a little levity before we send it off here. But Cristobal said I was joking with him a little bit that we're on national TV and here here I see you sitting on your butt. But he popped up real, <laughs> but he popped up real quick. Um, that was a pretty big cramp. He's in good shape and we expect him to be completely healthy. So I don't think there's any concerns about Lenore. And frankly, again, we don't know if these players tested positive. If this is contact tracing, but if it's the latter. Um, I think pretty likely these two, those three players are going to be available um, next week against UC. Like can't put that in stone. Can't guarantee it. It's COVID, but I think that you could kind of, if that's, if that's what it is, there's probably a a decent chance that those three guys are, are available going forward, but we don't have any guarantees here. And we also still lack clarity on like what the timeline is at tight end. We should note again, it was just DJ Johnson and Cooper Schultz there tonight.
0: Those are the only two tight ends that were
1: here. DJ Johnson scores the game's first touchdown. Again, this guy is a playmaker, and he also what a hell played. of a catch too. By the way, on the oh, on the second one too. On the second one was the the conversion on a third down where the ball got tipped in the air he caught it and, and yeah, and he ran ten yards for a first down that set up, um, I believe the second first or second touchdown of the second half. Um, DJ Johnson's a stud, man. He's got. I mean, we've seen him have two consecutive weeks really performed well. The receiving group as a whole, I thought performed pretty darn good given they were without Pittman. Tyler Shutt completed passes to eight different receivers in this game. Johnny Johnson, the third, the team's most you know, reliable, most lauded receiver, had one catch for two yards. It was a touchdown. It was a pretty important touchdown late in the game. But like, I
0: think he had just three targets the entire game, and most of those three targets came in like one possession.
1: Yeah. So I mean, like, but like overall, like I thought this receiving group, and and a big part of it was Travis Dye, two catches, eighty-seven yards, both touchdowns. Um, and then Jalen Wright had the fifty-seven-yard catch right before the end of the half. And we should note that sequence, I don't think we've even brought this up that much, but like that sequence, the McHale, Wright Kickoff return that took it almost to midfield. And then the Jalen red 57 yard touch, uh, sorry, 57 yard pass to get the ball to the four yard line. That sets up the CJ for touchdown from four yards out right before the half that all came together in like 23 seconds. Right. I mean, that was incredibly <laughs> important. They needed that. I mean, like I, I, I think I was like, well, Hey, they're going to go to half only down 12. Like it could be worse. And yet they go down just five points and then really cruise in the second half. I don't think we can overlook that sequence. I think that was among the most important of the entire game.
0: So I just want to look at this here for a second. Um, shoot. I'm, I'm just looking at some of the stats that we're getting coming in from, um, from Oregon as, as you know the, the stat crew there at the U of O is, is working and you know, updating things. And I find this just a really interesting stat that they're averaging 8.2 yards per play. And granted, small sample size, it's two games. Okay? Sure. It's two two games. But 8.2 yards per play. 2019, Oregon was at 6.34 yards per play. 2018, 5.86. 2017, 6.1. 2016, 6.6. Okay, 2015, 7.05. Now we're getting to the year when they made the national championship game in 2014 with Marcus Mario at quarterback, 7.34. 2013, this is Helfrich's first year, 7.55. 2012, Chip Kelly's final year, Marcus Mario's first, 6.6. 2011, maybe the best Oregon team ever. 7.21 2010's team when they made the national championship game against Auburn, 6.76. And then the last stat that I have on this website, 6.05
1: in 2009. So, there, well, there a you have it, Matt. This, size. Is the, this is the best offense ever. Matt's just run <laughs> through it. We, we, we can, we've got proof. We've got the evidence. I
0: mean, small sample
1: size, two games. <laughs> yes.
0: And it's going to change, you know. Right. and But nonetheless, like, you also have to factor in that those those other seasons that went I ran through, you know, more or less, they had a couple of easy cupcake games, not conference yep. games that really inflate the stats. They don't have that this year. They don't have the off season that those previous years had, and so just take that into consideration. I mean, look at this offense and what they're doing, and it's pretty darn impressive. I mean. After Stanford, it was 7.52. Now uh, it, it's bumped up again to, like I said, of an 8.2. Third down conversions on the year for Oregon. Uh, it, 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 that number is just miraculous and impressive to to look at. Um, when you look at it a, of, a, of a 16 of 22, 73%. They're two for two now on fourth downs. Red zone scores on the year, 10 of 13. All 10 of the uh, – they've got 10 of the 13 scored. All of them were touchdowns. Um, really impressive there. And then here's one final stat. We'll end it here. Just because I think I think there's this narrative that we need to nip it in the butt from within the Oregon fan base. And it's Tyler Shuck is not playing well and that he, he is struggling at times. Um, I mean, there were people, like I said – calling for anthony brown in that game people just like you said eric need to just trust this team okay here's a stat from oregon on Tyler shot he has 166 rushing yards on the season the most ever by an oregon quarterback through two career starts he's got over 500 yards of passing offense and like you referenced his start to this season is the best start that we've seen in a long time in the stats that he's done the last two games, only Marcus Mariota has done it better. That's how I checked. Marcus is pretty good.
1: Yeah, and there's been some pretty good quarterbacks that have come through Oregon not named Marcus Mariota too. Um, first two starts, guys. I, I know it's, everybody expects perfection and brilliance and that happens when the program elevates itself the way it has under Mario Cristobal the last couple of years. Um, don't, I, I'm, I guess I'll put it this way. I'm really thankful that it's, Mark, You know, Mario Cristobal and Joe Moorhead making the decisions on who the starting quarterback is and when to pull the plug and not those on social media who are losing their absolute minds once the game doesn't go perfect to start. And I know it wasn't pretty at times, but, like, come on. We've seen two games with him, certainly a lot to work on. The guy's a stud, and he's going to be a great quarterback at Oregon, and and Oregon fans should be really excited about what they have at quarterback going forward.
0: It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's post-game edition podcast. Uh, Make sure to give us a review. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast. It's free. Also, make sure to subscribe to DuckTerritory.com. $1 for your first month. We will be back Monday with a more detailed analysis of this game. We'll also have some feedback uh, coming out later on in the week from Mario Cristobal previewing the UCLA game. And before you know it, the UCLA game will be here, remember, Saturday, not Friday. It's been moved Friday to Saturday. Saturday night, 7.30 kick, ESPN, I believe. Uh, Eric and Kevin will be there. I will be manning uh, the desk at home for that one. Um, I've got to get off this podcast because i got to get to bed because i got to drive home from Pullman, and it's not going to be a fun drive tomorrow. So uh, (laughs) thank you for listening to the podcast, post-game edition. Um, We
1: will talk to you soon, hopefully very soon. Thanks for the honesty, Matt, and talk to you later, folks.